If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. The following podcast contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. People tell me, hey, you're going to go die and go to hell. I think I'm not alone. One in the chest, one in the head. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out, that's when the cannibalism started, eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. Oh, I wear a male car with his hands to a coffee table and just pull it out of his backside. Carl Williams is a wobbly bottom little cher- cherub face, cherub face little boy who would who, 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 whose life would be. I harm someone each time I kill someone to be an enormous amount of uh, especially at first, an uh, enormous amount of uh, horror, guilt, remorse afterwards. But then that impulse to do it again would come back even stronger. In late November 1989, Karen Randall's friends were worried about her. Her alcoholic and drug-addled ex-boyfriend Paul Snable was stalking her and wouldn't leave her alone. He had already bashed her and given her a black eye. Karen was afraid. One night over drinks, Karen, together with her sister Donna and friends Irene Maslin and Rona Heaney, devised a diabolical plan that would get Paul out of Karen's life for good. Hi, I'm Barney Black. And I'm Tara Saraband. And this is Bloody Murder. We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser known crime stories from Australia. And indeed around the globe. Being a comedy true crime podcast means that we use dark humour as a means to tell horrifying stories, but never at the expense of the victims or their families. If you think humour has no business being associated with tragedy, then Bloody Murder will not be the podcast for you. Now, before we commence our sordid tales, we'd like to remind you that this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons. We've had quite a few new ones join our new fancy Patreon program, which we will thank individually after our story. If you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com. As a patron, you have access to loads of other episodes, including our Raining Like Cats and Dogs first season... (laughs) And ad-free versions of our regular episodes. As well as exclusive monthly uncensored patron episodes where we really let fly. 
Levels above $5 receive free stickers and handmade Barney badges. And we've just done some new stickers. Wait till you see them. They're very colourful. And, of course, you're automatically entered into the draw for our monthly giveaways. All right, Tara, let's get murdery. 28-year-old Paul Snabel lived in Maui in eastern Victoria and he really liked to party. He drank copious amounts of alcohol and also took vast quantities of speed. He had a girlfriend, Karen Randall, who also didn't mind a drink and the odd line or two of speed as well. To classify their relationship as a bit stormy would have been an understatement. They frequently argued and on more than one occasion Paul had gotten violent. Once he had punched Karen so hard he gave her a nasty black eye. Their off and on again relationship was in trouble and after getting advice from her friend Rona Heaney, Karen showed him the door and told Paul that she didn't want to see him anymore. Paul Snabel wasn't the kind of guy that would take no for an answer and kept pursuing Karen phoning her constantly and showing up uninvited at her house. Now, if this were a Hollywood movie, his actions would be considered romantic, wouldn't they? They would be, you know. They love a bit of stalking in those romantic movies. That's right, holding the boombox above your head out out the window. No, no, these big romantic gestures, no, just no. Karen decided to move house and secured a housing ministry place in Merbu North, which was not far from her friend Rona Heaney's home. With Paul not knowing her new address, Karen must have thought she'd be safe from his persistent and aggressive advances. But Paul Snabel did not give up. Karen had a son, Christopher, from a previous relationship. One afternoon, Paul followed Christopher's bus home from school and discovered Karen's new house in Merbu North. The next day, Paul left a card under Karen's door saying he wanted her back. Karen showed the card to her friend Rona and another friend, Irene Maslin. Karen told them she was concerned for her safety and that of her son. That night, the three women were joined by Karen's sister Donna and over a few drinks they discussed how to handle the Paul Snabel problem. It was that night on November 3rd, 1989, Karen decided to move in with Rona. Also on that night, Karen and Donna Randall, Irene Maslin and Rona Heaney decided to murder Paul Snabel. Two weeks later, a man by the name of Peter Friend went into the Moe police station to report that his housemate Paul Snabel was missing. Peter told police they'd both been at a housewarming party a week earlier and they both had quite a bit to drink, so much so that Johnny Walker shares were bound to have skyrocketed. He also told them that Paul had left the party and nobody had seen him since. Now, there was an episode of Forensic Investigators about this case, Tara, and their reenactment of that party was really, really lit. Oh, it went off. (laughs) Everyone was jumping up and down with drinks in one, sometimes both of their hands. Yeah, that's that's apparently how we party here in Australia. Both both hands full of drinks above your head, just jumping up and down. That's right. Woo! (laughs) It was accurate. It was. Peter Friend also told the cops he'd been mates with Paul for six years and he was a good bloke. According to Peter, everybody liked him and Paul didn't have any enemies that he knew of. Police became concerned when they learned that while Paul's car and belongings were still at the house he shared with Peter, his distinctive red and white 250cc Yamaha motorcycle was gone. Paul's sister Marie was also concerned as they were very close and spoke almost every day. Um, So she hadn't seen or heard from him since the party and he'd not shown up to work or collected his paycheck. 
Police began an investigation and soon discovered the party where Paul was last seen was at Donna Randall's house. She was the sister of his ex-girlfriend Karen. Donna told police that when the party ended at 9am, she left with Paul and they both went to Karen's place at Nichols Road in Merbu North. According to Donna, Karen was in the process of moving and Paul was supposedly there to lend a hand, but instead of helping her move, Paul, believing that he hadn't had near enough alcohol, continued drinking. This pissed Karen off and she told him, well, if you're not going to help, you can fuck off. Donna told police that after Paul finished off another bottle of Johnny Walker Black Scotch that he'd bought with him, he jumped on his motorbike and rode off at about 5pm. That sounds safe. Yeah, that sounds like a really bad idea. It really does. A really bad idea. Um, Yeah, not a good idea. Police then talked to Karen, who corroborated Donna's story. After police learned about the Olympic-sized swimming pool of whiskey and the mountain of speed that Paul had consumed and that he hadn't slept in three days, they decided to conduct a search along the side of the road they suspected he may have travelled. It was a forest area and state emergency service personnel were brought in to help as well as a police helicopter. Paul's sister and parents also joined the search and all had grave fears that Paul would be found lying in a ditch somewhere or he had ridden off a cliff while travelling along the many treacherous roads in the area. Soon after the story of Paul Snable's disappearance hit the news, a woman phoned the police and told them that her son had found motorbike parts at the local dump including a motorcycle headlamp, red petrol tank and bike seat. Then more parts were found at another dump in the same area. Police quickly closed both tips and after a three-day search, almost an entire motorbike was unearthed. All parts were consistent with being from Paul Snable's much-loved Yamaha. But, and it's a really big but neatly cold in a plastic bag, what really intrigued police was that some of the cables and wiring from the bike were found neatly cold in plastic bags. <laughs> a motorcycle mechanic was brought in who had recently done some work on Paul's motorbike. He positively identified the parts as belonging to the red and white 250cc Yamaha motorcycle owned by Paul Snable. Police scratched their chins in a quizzical manner. Hmm... They didn't know what to think as they also had information from Paul's friends that he had wanted to leave Maui and go to Perth and may well have staged his own disappearance. The next day, police got a call from a farmer who told them he had found a motorbike engine in one of his dams. Oh, that doesn't belong there. That's not a koi fish. (laughs) That's not a yabby. (laughs) On examination, the police discovered the engine number had been filed off. Which can only mean something illegal is going on here. That's right. Now, with the dam being close to the other two tips where the other parts were found, police searched all the other dams in the area and quickly found a red motorbike frame. Piece by piece, they now had found Paul's entire Yamaha. Police obtained a search warrant for Karen's old house where Paul was last seen. After tossing the place, they were disappointed that they found nothing of evidentiary value. But after questioning Donna further, she let slip that on the day of Paul's vanishing, she left to drop her kids off at a friend's house, and that friend was a woman by the name of Irene Maslin. Irene Maslin, remember that name. I'm going to. We'll be back with more of the Snabel murder conspiracy after this. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study... 
people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. So, Barney, what time is it? It's true crime nerd time. Let the good times roll. True crime nerd time. True Crime Nerd Time is an opportunity for you, our listeners, to give us your recommendations for anything true crime related. It can be a book, movie, TV series, graphic novel, song, or just about anything that has scratched your true crime itch. It could be a yabby, a lobster, or any kind of freshwater crustacean. You know what? It would actually be good to scratch an itch with a lobster. They look yeah. like they get the job done. Yeah. They've got pinchy, pointy bits. You can record your voice, just do it on your phone, we'll play it, or write it and we'll read it out. And we have one here, Tara, from Melissa Fraser. Hi, Melissa. And she writes, Hey, bloody murder. I've been listening to Call Me God on Audible. It's written and put together by Jim Clemente and his brother Tim Clemente of the Best Worst Case podcast. Both are ex-FBI, Jim from the BAU. Behavioural Analysis Unit, I believe. And Tim is an agent and sniper. Not playing Call of Duty with him. Mm-mm. Jim also writes for Criminal Minds. I tell you, Jim is everywhere. He really is yeah, everywhere. I opened up a kitchen cupboard today and I was like, ah, Jim Clemente, everywhere. I saw him at Aldi the other day. I don't doubt it. I think he was driving the tram that I took to get here this morning. The book is a full story of the DC snipers who terrified Washington and surrounding states in 2002 with multiple random victims and threats to children. Coming after the Twin Towers, the impact on the community was profound, with people too scared to shop, go out or let their kids go to school. Yeah, it was crazy. They were just randomly picking people off. Can't go to school today, Dad. Snipers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, you know come what? on. I probably used that on a day that I had PE. Mum, can't go to school. Too many snipers. We live in Mullumbimby, Tara. There are no fucking snipers. This is an in-depth report covering the lives of victims, police force dick-waving... Oh, oh, that's never good to see. Well, yeah, I mean, there are better ways to say hello. <laughs> the use of sniffer dogs, that's a better way. Yeah. Domestic violence and a race against time. The narration is good and there are some moving interviews with victim's family and Tim's wife. She was at a petrol station filling up about 20 minutes before a victim was shot exactly where she had been standing. Oh, man. Just don't stand there. No, well, she didn't know. She oh, was yeah. just filling her car with petrol, Jesus. Yeah, or gas. Gas. There are lots of interviews with a range of law enforcement people and other experts. Really good production and well worth a listen. Cheers, Melissa Fraser. 
Well, thanks, Melissa. Yeah, thank you very much. That sounds like a real corker. That book was Call Me God by Jim and Tim Clemente, the details of which will be in the show notes. Now, Tara, did you know if you'd like to submit a True Crime Nerd Time, visit our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com, for instructions on how to contribute. I did know that. You, you knew yeah, that? Yeah, I did. I've heard you say it, I don't know, about a hundred times. Uh, I, just want to make, <laughs> I just want to get the message through, you know. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, cool. Yeah, I know. It's, it's about whether other people know. <laughs> and Melissa certainly did. She did. Times have been rough for a lot of people this year. Life is busy, and unfortunately, sometimes it's pretty bad. This year? It's only February. I know, but it's been a real nightmare year for yeah, tons yeah, of people. Seriously. Yeah. We're both big believers in therapy, but finding the time to go can be a problem. If you have something that's interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp Online Counselling is there for you. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counsellors who are specialised in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, grief, self-esteem and more. You can connect with a professional counsellor in a safe and private online environment. Anything you share is confidential and it's very convenient. You can now get help at your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions plus chat and text with your therapist. If you're not happy with your counsellor, you can request a new one at any time at no additional charge. Well, it is important to get a good fit, isn't it? Yeah, you really need to find Mm. the right person for you. Mm. It's a service that is available worldwide and you could be communicating with a counsellor in under 24 hours. And best of all, it's an affordable option. And as a Bloody Murder listener, you get 10% off your first month with the discount code Bloody Murder. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com forward slash bloody murder. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counsellor that suits you. That's betterhelp.com forward slash bloody murder. With the discount code bloody murder, one word. And now for the conclusion of the Snabel murder conspiracy. At this point in the investigation, all the police had to go on were the motorcycle parts and the bags in which some of those motorcycle cables were found. One clever detective recognised the plastic bags as being the type used by the SEC, which is the State Electricity Commission. Police contacted the SEC, who confirmed the bags were indeed theirs and they were not available to the public. And they wanted them back. Yeah, excuse me. Give me my bags back. I'd take those cables out of them. After cross-checking the names they had collected in their investigation with employees at the SEC, they got themselves a match. Well, sort of. Jano Maslin happened to be the husband of Irene Maslin. Jano and Irene Maslin told police that they had never heard of Paul Snabel. Jano also stated that on the day of Paul's disappearance, he'd been working all day in his backyard digging a swimming pool. Not enjoying a pool, like with a shovel, right? Yeah, with a shovel. I enjoy pools. Not with a, a cocktail in one hand lying on a pink flamingo that's been inflated. Ah, But detectives were not convinced and they came back later that day with a search warrant. In the Maslin's garage, they found several identical SEC plastic bags. Also discovered were some cables that had been wound up very neatly, which was similar to the way Paul's motorcycle cables were wound up and put in the plastic bags which were found at the dump. Police went over every inch of the garage but found that it had been cleaned recently. On closer inspection, they spotted some debris in the cracks in the concrete floor. 
Forensic investigators collected dust accumulated in the cracks and found some metal fragments and some red paint. But by far the best find was a file hidden behind a workbench that had remnants of paint embedded into the teeth of the file. Red paint. Forensics soon matched the flecks of paint to the red colour of Paul's Yamaha motorbike. Police scooped up Jano and Irene Maslin and quizzed them about the red paint and the SEC plastic bags. Funny thing, Tara, when they first interviewed the couple, they found them to be friendly and cooperative. But this time round, they experienced a rather frosty and surly attitude from both of them. Irene wouldn't say a word, and all Jano would say was, I don't answer questions. Never answering questions, huh? That must make it hard for him to have a conversation. Yeah, he spoke in statements only. Did he ask questions? On occasion, but they were all rhetorical. Makes sense. With nothing to hold them on, the Maslins were released. Detectives figured let them stew for a while and will bring them in for further questioning the next day. But, and it's a reasonably big but, when the murder cops got to their house the next day, the Maslins weren't home. Oh, they scampered. After quizzing their friend Rona Heaney about the whereabouts of the couple, they learned that they had taken off on Christmas vacation. Rona didn't know exactly where they went or when they were coming back. And like a belch on the top of a lighthouse, Jano and Irene Maslin were in the wind. That's actually a very popular saying here in Australia. Yeah, yeah, people say it all the time. I think uh, Henry Lawson came up with it first. Whilst trying to track down the surly Maslins, detectives got news Karen Randall... Paul's ex-girlfriend and favourite punching bag had just placed herself in a private rehab clinic for drug and alcohol addiction in Frankston. Police wondered if the disappearance of Paul and the subsequent police investigation was getting to her and decided to interview her again. Now, Karen was one of the last people to see Paul and while police didn't suspect she had anything to do with his disappearance, they thought she was holding back some vital information. Karen Randall was a wreck and in a very frail state of mind. After police told her about what they found at the Maslin, she broke down and admitted she had lied to them. Karen told police that the last time she saw Paul, he was with her sister Donna, Rona Heaney and Irene Maslin. She also told the detectives that she and Donna had left the house while Paul was still there with Irene and Rona. The next day, Karen and Donna went to see Irene Maslin. Irene took Karen into her bedroom, told her to sit down and said, Paul won't be bothering you no more. Karen cried and Irene told her, You need to keep your shit together and keep your mouth shut. Police could see that she was terrified of Irene Maslin. Later that night, Karen's sister Donna got a late night visit from a strange man that she'd never met. He told her he was a friend of Irene Maslin. He also said Irene wanted to talk to her and to come with him. This friend drove Donna to Geelong to the house where Irene and Jano Maslin were staying. Irene told Donna to have words with her little sister Karen and to keep your mouth shut. She even went so far as to threaten Donna by telling her that she was polishing my shotgun and saying, you've got a pretty face, Donna. Shame if anything was to happen to it. Two days later, police managed to track down the Maslin's location, but when they pounded at the door, a man by the name of Ian Gillen answered. He told detectives that they had just missed them as they'd left the day before. 
Meanwhile, Pretty Face Donna was shit scared that Big Bad Irene was coming after her, so she went to the police to spill the beans on the whole sordid affair. Donna told detectives the day she brought Paul over to Karen and Rona's house, she overheard Irene and Rona convincing Paul to shoot up some speed with them. But what Paul didn't know is that the syringe was filled with a mixture of speed and battery acid. After Paul was given the hot shot, Irene told Donna and Karen that they should leave because he's going to fall and if you don't want to see this, you should go. Donna also told police that a couple of days after the hotshot incident, Rona Heaney told Donna that she'd sold her couch set because they couldn't get the bloodstains out of it. Donna assumed that after she left, Paul had been bashed. Police tracked down the buyer of the couch set, seized it and sent it to forensics. They found that one of the armchairs indeed had blood on it and that the blood was that of a human male. What about DNA? Ah, we're in the 1990s, so they didn't have the technology. Mm. Now, when the cops were trying to hunt down the Maslins, they met a bloke by the name of Ian Gillen. Remember him, Tara? Yes, he was the guy staying at the house the Maslins were holidaying at in Geelong. Yes, that's right. Well, Ian Gillen showed up at the cop shop and told detectives he was at Jano and Irene's place on the day of Paul's disappearance. He was there to help dig the Maslin swimming pool. Yeah, pools are pretty sweet. Well, with a shovel, we talked about this. Oh, yeah. Anyway, at some point, Jano Maslin had left the property only to return a few hours later with Irene riding shotgun and a red and white Yamaha motorbike on the back of a trailer. Irene told him to strip down the bike and later she ordered him to dump the parts. Ian told the police he didn't know whose bike it was and he was too scared to ask. Detectives suspected Ian Gillen knew more than what he was telling them. They were right. But police had more urgent business to attend to. Jano and Irene Maslin had blown back in the town, as had Rona Heaney. Detectives swooped down on them and the murderous trio were quickly arrested. Irene was the first to be interviewed, but it wasn't much of an interview, Tara. It consisted of detectives asking her questions and her not saying a word. For hours, Irene leaned back in her chair, chain-smoking Marlboro Reds with a contemptuous, sour, stony face like a slapped ass, mocking detectives with her silence. Rona Heaney was the next to be grilled. This went quite a bit differently. Like a twitchy little nervous bird, she cracked within minutes and told them Ian Gillen was indeed more involved than he had let on. Ian was hauled in, and he too cracked. Between his statement and Rona's confession, detectives put together the whole conspiracy to murder Paul Snabel. On the night of November 3rd, 1989, Karen and Donna Randall, Irene Maslin and Rona Heaney formulated a plan to murder Paul Snabel. Paul was to be invited to Donna's housewarming party the following week. Donna was to get him drunk and then convince him to go with her to Karen and Rona's house. Donna told him that Karen wanted to get back together with him. When Paul arrived, he was to be given the hot shot of speed and battery acid by Rona, but Rona, being a frightened little bird, squawked and laid an egg and, well, chickened out. Irene called her a fucking pussy and took charge, injecting Paul. After Karen and Donna left, everyone expected Paul to fall to the ground and cark it. But he didn't. In fact, the hot shots seemed to perk him up. 
Instead of becoming critically ill, he went outside and did burnouts around the front yard of the property on his motorbike. (laughs) Oh, for fuck's sake, Irene told Rona. Later that afternoon, Ian Gillen arrived and was introduced to Paul as he'd never met him. Afterwards, Irene quickly pulled Ian into the kitchen and told him, This guy's got to go. Do you want to knock him out for me? Ian replied, What? Hell no. But Irene was persistent and said, Well, are you going to do it? Rona joined in saying, You know it would be a better idea for us to take him outside and just punch him out and just send him home. Irene shook her head and said, He's got to go. He's always bashing Karen. Karen's too scared to go and tell the police about it. He has to go, otherwise he'll get Karen first. It was then that Irene passed Ian an aluminium baseball bat that belonged to Rona's son. If someone doesn't do something about him, he's going to end up killing Karen, Irene told him. Ian Gillen took the bat, walked into the living room and struck Paul Snabel twice in the back of the head from behind as he sat in the lounge chair. Blood spurted out of his head. Paul gurgled a strange noise and fell into unconsciousness. Blood was dripping down his face and onto the carpet. A few minutes later, the seemingly invincible Paul Snabel coughed and woke up, looking around confused at his predicament. Irene yelled at Ian to hit him again. Ian Gillen rained down two more hard blows to Paul's head, causing more blood to gush from his head wounds. Ian ran out of the house to the front garden and threw up. He was quickly followed by Rona, who also vomited. Ian said, This is really fucked. I want to get out of here. But he didn't. Ian and Rona went back inside and saw Irene putting a plastic bag over Paul Snabel's head and sealing it around his neck with an elastic band. This seemed to do the trick and Paul died. That night they wrapped Paul's body in a tarp and placed it in the back of Irene's Subaru station wagon. Irene had a place picked out to hide Paul's body, a remote area called Shady Creek. The body was left under logs and covered in sticks off a track in an unpopulated hilly area. Rona would later lead police to the area of the primitive burial site. Yeah, well, you know, to the area because she couldn't remember where it was exactly. No, she couldn't, couldn't quite find it. <laughs> uh, it's around here somewhere. But after an extensive search, they found the skeletal remains of Paul Snabel, which were identified by dental records. It had been 10 weeks since his vanishing and hungry animals had had their way with him. Paul Snabel's skull was found to have major fracture lines on the left side. The medical examiner surmised that there were a number of blows of very significant force delivered to his head and that blows of that type are likely to cause immediate unconsciousness, if not death. Also found with the skeletal remains was a plastic bag, believed to be the one placed over Paul's head. 38-year-old Rona Heaney was found guilty of murder and she served 10 years in prison. Karen Randall, 28, and her sister Donna Randall, 24, were found guilty of murder and got 14 years each. But they appealed and were granted a retrial where they were convicted of attempted murder. In the end, they both served only two years. 24-year-old Ian Gillen was convicted of manslaughter because he wasn't party to the initial plan to kill Paul Snabel, and it couldn't be established that his actions actually caused the death of Paul. Well, yeah, I mean, it could have been suffocation or the eventual effects of the hot shot. Well, that's right, and, you know, there were only bones left. 
Yeah, it's hard for them to know. Ian's own counsel referred to him in court as having a lack of maturity as well as a relatively low level of intelligence. Well, he did bash a man he'd never met with an aluminium baseball bat just because someone told him to do so. Well, that's right. Ian served four years in prison. After the others had been found guilty and sentenced, 36-year-old Irene Maslin pled guilty to the murder of Paul Snabel. She spent 10 years in jail. In sentencing, the court heard she wielded significant influence on her co-accused. Her husband, Jano, was surprisingly found not guilty due to lack of evidence. Yeah, they just couldn't quite connect the dots in terms of the evidence and, you know, making... Yeah, even though he pulled that bike apart yeah. and helped dump it. Uh, yeah, I, I find it quite strange that he got off scot-free. It is interesting, isn't it? Well, that's quite a story, I think. I think it would make a great Australian gothic movie. It would, wouldn't it? Yeah. Hmm. Well, I have a question for you, Tara. Yep. What is Aussie As? Aussie As are tales of criminal stupidity and bloody legends with a quintessentially Australian flavour. Would you like to hear one? I would love to hear one. Excellent. The NT News is really the gift that just keeps on giving when it comes to finding unique stories for Aussie As. The one I'm going to tell you about today comes from an article of theirs titled The Time a Falsies Flew Out Into the Hotel Buffet Toaster. In 2005, Northern Territory resident Michelle Fiddick was having a buffet brunch with her daughters at a Sky City Casino restaurant, which happened to be full of V8 supercar drivers. Woo! Broom. Mish had been wearing dentures since she had an ice skating accident at the age of 12, so she was very used to having them and keeping them in her mouth where they belonged. But this nice, quiet family brunch became a lot more memorable than she'd hoped. Mish told the NT News, Oh, we'd finished breakfast and I decided I'd like a cup of tea and a croissant. So I cut it in half and put it on the wire rack of those toasters that rotate around and as soon as it hit the heat, it caught on fire. So I tried to blow it out and I went like... (sighs) And my teeth flew, not just fell, but flew out into the toaster and started going around with the croissant that was on fire. Wow. Yeah, her daughter Bianca was cluey enough to turn the toaster off, but that still left them with the issue of how to remove the dentures from the toaster as the only tongs on hand were too big to fit inside it. Bianca, being a problem solver, asked the waiter if she could have some normal tongs, telling him and the room full of V8 supercar drivers, my mum's teeth are in the toaster and we can't get them out. By this time, Mish's dentures had melted significantly and it was an absurd mission trying to free them from the bottom tray of the toaster through the grates. Mish said, Oh, we actually dissembled the rack, but they kept falling down lower. When we eventually got them out, I waited for them to cool down, as melted as they were, and then tried to put them back in. But they were so hot they burnt the top of my palate. Mish was so embarrassed about this incident that she hardly told anyone for over a decade, but her dentist, who has now given her steel plate dentures, encouraged her to share her story with others. Mish said, Oh, it's a belly laugh story now, but for a while, every time we went away to stay in a hotel, if there was one of those toasters there, I'd take a photo of it and send it to my daughters and go, look who I'm having breakfast with. (laughs) Yeah, but better not try to blow anything out there, Mish. Yeah. Oh, that was a a corker. That's the tale of the time my falsies flew out into the hotel buffet toaster. Wow. (laughs) 
This brings us to the end of the episode. But before we go, we'd like to thank a special someone who took the time to write us a good review, and it was actually via email. Yeah, so thank you to Mike Hughes from Colwyn Bay in sunny Conway. We'd also like to thank our Facebook moderating team and Courtney from Cult of Domesticity podcast. Um, she sent us a really cool card and some stickers. Thanks, oh, Courtney. That was nice to find that in our mailbox, it wasn't really it? It really was. Now, Tara, we love our patrons and in an attempt to show them how much we do, we're holding monthly giveaways. January's lucky winner of the Bloody Murder Tropical Travel T-shirt was Leah Mills. This month, we're giving away a set of funky, bloody murder fridge magnets. They stick to your fridge. How do they do it? Nobody knows. To win, just join our Bloody Murder Patreon for a level above $5. Now, we've had a bunch of new bloody legends join our Patreon program. So thank you to Nicole Borg. Jennifer Stringer. Christina Finn. That's with a K. Mm-hmm. Dean Batchelor. With a D. Nicole Look Christensen. Or Tilloisaurus Nix. That's right. Penny Souza. Christina Snyder. That's with a C. Thank you. Libby Loudle. Hey, Libby. And Sandra Chesterfield. If you'd like to support us, visit our website for details. Or if you just want to buy us a drink, there's a PayPal donate button there too because we're thirsty. All the time. I've been Barney Black. And I've been Tara Saraband. And this is Bloody Murder. Please don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts or our Facebook page. And, of course, rate and subscribe. It really helps us. You can follow us through our Facebook page, join our awesome Facebook group. Um, at Twitter, we're at Bloody Murder Pod. And on Instagram, we're Bloody underscore Murder underscore Podcast. Check out our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com, for news, galleries and more episodes. And merchandise. Of course. We've got some very cool designs there, um, designed by Sexy Bunny. Hey, baby, I'm rambunctious. <laughs> I got one in. Hey, hey. I'm fancy and rambunctious. Nice one, knucklehead. Thanks for sticking around and we'll be back soon. Goodbye and adios. And keep kicking against the pricks. Oh, we went to um we went to a cool event the other day and got to meet our favourite Australian crime writer, Adam Shand. And he said he's gonna come on our show. He did oh yeah, we maybe should put that in. Anyway, it was a really good night. It was fantastic, and he let he let us call him Shandy. Shandy, <laughs> uh, Shandy, Shandy, I can't let you go. Yeah, we also sang that to him, and he was okay with it, uh, or at least he pretended. Maybe he's just very polite. <laughs> oh, I think he liked us. We we like him. Yeah, Shandy's the best. Yeah. Um, he knows everything about Carl Williams and Chopper Reed, and hopefully we can get him on our show sometime to uh, uh, spill his secrets. Well, a special shout-out to you, Shandy, and to your son, Jack, who is a lovely man. Yes, and it was a great evening. Hmm. You get a chance to see Adam Shand or listen to one of his podcasts or read one of his books, do yourself a favour. So how about this, listeners? I've got a Honda. It's a 2000 model, and it's just been recalled by Honda. They're just going to come and pick it up and take it away because of a faulty airbag. And then Barney has no wheels. And now I have no car. I like my car. You love your car. Also, you've got those True Crime Island and felon stickers on the back of it. I do. What, are you going to scrape them off? I don't know. I don't think he's still making felon stickers. Uh, Collector's uh, item. Yeah, that's right. Maybe I'll just cut the window out. <laughs> well, that's not the damage bit. Don't they just need the airbags? Why do they need to take the whole car? I know, and they're probably going to make it into a cube. Yeah, They're going to crush it. And then they'll just bring it back and leave it on your doorstep. Oh. Uh, <laughs> that's a sad Stupid story. Stupid car story. 
Uh, I like it when you press record before we start uh, recording. It's, it's great, it's, isn't it? It's more helpful than when you don't repress, press record until way later. Yeah, like we'll do two, three pages of reading and oh, you haven't pushed record. No, no. Those, um, for some reason, those bits don't make it into the episode, do they? It seems like a wasted opportunity. It really does. You know, we could have recorded that and then I we know. wouldn't have had to do it again. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Um, pressing record. It's uh, overrated. Not overrated. It's underrated. In late November 1989, look what I can do now. I know, you don't have to like touch anything. You're so lucky. I can do this. Oh, don't do the double nip rubs this early on. We've only just pressed record. Hey, baby. It's That's what my shirt says. Too early for nip rubs. Never. And I do it again. Oh, I, and I will. I know you will. I was a brothel in Frankston called Irene's when I was a teenager. Really? That sounds like, I don't know, because Irene to me is sort of a much older lady name. Yeah, it's a madam, of course. She ran it. Ah, right. She I probably... was thinking it was kind of like your elderly aunt's brothel. Yeah, Aunt Irene. Yeah, and her brothel. And oh, her brothel. the good times we spent there as children. Oh, yeah. And ad-free versions of our regular episodes. As well as exclusively... Exclusive month monto offers such and patient. What? Read oh, it. and you actually wrote a trap in here, but I couldn't even say the real words. Come on, I got say to it. it. As well as exclusive monthly uncensored patron only episodes where Tara eats hot dogs whilst riding a unicycle. I do not. If any one of us is eating a hot dog, you know it's uh, probably you. You fell from my Tara trap again. Well, I fell for something, and I'm not sure if that was it. I just fell, all right? <laughs> Come on, that's pretty good. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't know. I just I feel like it's false advertising. I, thought, I don't do either of those things. I, I first wrote eating a banana, but then I thought, oh, that's a bit rude. Oh, really? Eating a hot dog is less rude. Well, yeah. I don't know because remember I was on that show Hot Dog with a Lot, and trust me, drunk guys are like, oh, you like a hot dog, do you? Eh? Like a bit of sausage, do you? Eh? Like a bit of sausage? And they always thought they were the first guy to say it. Yeah, it you should have like, just said to him, yeah, I do. Why? What's what's what's? Explain that to me. <laughs> Cut your dick off, put it on a bun, watch me eat it. When, when someone does a sexual innuendo, always ask them to explain it to you and then they realise what a fucking idiot no, they, they are. No, they don't. Then they just think that they're smarter than you and you're a fucking idiot. No, you're not, you're not female. You don't understand how this shit works. Yeah. Honestly, a lot of things end up in you dumb slut. So, you know, mm. you kind of don't want to encourage that. What about you fucking smart prude? I'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you are a prude Oh yeah, yeah, I'm a cunting prude It's clear to all Yeah, I left out the smart bit there Yeah, 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 yeah. Alright Alright, no now more what? Tara traps you have, to do that. you have to do that again Oh, did you get a little boo-boo? I banged my walking hand on the, on the No, my grabbing feet It's on, a grabbing foot, yes On the credenza that's the name of my fourth album. <laughs> yeah, you also have that um, tattoo of it written in really big, like, um, Roman numerals. <laughs> Roman numerals? I don't know why you chose to get words written in Roman numerals, but I guess you can because they have, like, some letters. They have lots of letters. Yeah. Yeah. There's some letters they don't have, like Q. Ah, oh, Q. Who needs it? Well, if you're going to write queef, how would you do that? With a K and then a W. Oh, Yeah. Like Queen Laquifa. <laughs> Queen Laquifa. Uh, we really should do this podcast. All right, let's work it out. 20 years. Tw- 
<laughs> Off to an auspicious start. I didn't get, get past the first word. <laughs> oh, wow. If every word's like that, we're going to be here for years. <clears throat> Police scratch their heads. No, they no, didn't scratch their Mm-mm. head. They scratched their balls. No, it wasn't their balls. They scratched their balls, patted their heads and did some somersaults. Oh, and how did that help them solve the case? Well, it was they did it in a quizzical manner. Oh, that's how they do their best thinking, mm, is it? I'm going to solve some crimes. Scratch, 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 roll, roll, roll. All I've right. got the answer. Ah, that's, a, <laughs> yes, clues. We need to find clues. <laughs> oh, well, everyone's got their own process, I suppose. They do. And now, and now, and now. Now, I see icy cold cans of cake. In a world. (laughs) Where danger is war and passion is dangerous like war. (laughs) My improv's not really quite on today. Yeah. (laughs) It's really, it's not there. But by far the best find was a file hidden beneath that in a workbench. Hey, baby. There's no hey, baby. All rambunctious, all fancy in this. Well, you say fancy because when you talk about our fancy new patron program, so you've got oh, a yeah. built-in fancy. A built-in fancy. But by far the best find was a file hidden behind a workbench. I feel like that the way I said workbench took an hour. Work bench. Hey, baby. Workbench. <laughs> workbench. <laughs> yeah, like that. But it, there's more like but work bench. <sighs> hey, baby. Want to look at my workbench? <laughs> <laughs> just, it just seems totally like it's not a word now. That's what I call my bed. Not a word? A workbench. <sighs> oh, hey, baby. Oh, that's still me. It's highlighted even. So what's the problem, fucko? <laughs> it's, 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 it's nothing wrong with this. It's just all up here, And there's it? nothing wrong with this. It's so I'm surmising that it's me. The problem is you. The problem is me. <laughs> I'm the problem. We have Barney. No, Houston, we've got ourselves uh, a Barney problem. Garbage, garbage, Barney, rubbish, black. That's my what, new name. Yeah, that's what your kids I'm call you. I'm rubbish. I'm garbage. <laughs> Aww. Hear that? Hear that rubbish truck? That's my ride. Yeah. They take me back to my place of home. That's where the I tip. where I live. Yeah, you live. With you all live the other where rubbish. people dump motorcycle parts. While whilst 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 trying to track down the surly rambunctious Maslins. Detectives got news. Karen Randall. Come on. They're surly, but are they rambunctious? I, I think don't... they're rambunctious after a few shots of goey, but apart from that, oh, not I just, so much. I just wanted to get a rambunctious in there I and know. it didn't work, did you it? I just wanted to say it. They were using sonic pressure on my head since 1997.